0: Maybe it's the pressure, Jake They're like demons It's You're a human What were they,
1: Jake? This is your home, you're dead I'm not dead What are you then? I'm alive If you get one of these little motherfuckers <laughs> out in the open, you'd waste them according to this, you're already dead Valley of evil. I shall feel
0: no death. Cause I'm the meanest motherfucker in the valley. Hey everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature, Grindhouse style, where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each week, uh, alongside our whatever... <laughs> <laughs> We're killing it. Do, yeah, do you know what, man? I just I, I, I say it every week, and every week I just I lose one piece of it. My <laughs> yeah. brain just forgets it. But alongside our honorary slezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, we do decide it. on all you the won't. official ratings and <laughs> rankings for every film now. That- Jesus, this is a free episode, okay? We gotta try a little harder on this one. <laughs> yeah. You know, the patrons episodes were always just like, you know, whatever, we'll loosey goosey the intro. Fuck it. Yeah. But there's, shit, a, there's, a, little preview.
1: there's yeah. a little
0: preview of <laughs> Patreon episodes. Jesus. <laughs> well, Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for, shit, maybe a year now. Yeah finally yep. I believe there's 24 so yeah probably yeah I believe there's 24 patron episodes waiting uh, back there for you so if you guys haven't made the jump to patreon there's like 48 films we've discussed that you guys haven't yeah. heard yet so I'd highly recommend going and doing that some
1: gems on uh, there. we
0: appreciate it gives us gives us a little help in hand um, and also what's the other one again iTunes Spotify yeah we're Stitcher, on YouTube now too.
1: YouTube Yep, I think we're on
0: everything Really. yeah we've I, I actually have been checking the Spotify stats and we got quite a few people listening over on Spotify so oh, cool. that was clear Really a good a good decision. Yeah, that's um, awesome. So wherever you're listening though, if you've been enjoying the show, give us a good old rating and review like on iTunes and such. Uh, it helps us find new listeners, and we really appreciate that. Uh, but that's the plugs for the week. Shit, two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys would have heard from us, free listeners, and we would have been talking uh, dual. Yeah. 1970 early spielberg. early spielberg and also breakdown 1997 starring kurt russell in uh, some beautiful khaki pants in some beautiful khaki <laughs> pants we had hollywood reporter film critic and friend of the show keith Ulick on to talk mm. to truck exploitation uh, films. We had a, a lot of fun with that episode, and I mean, I I was really glad to have been shown Breakdown at all. It's actually yeah. one of my one of the the few movies I hadn't even heard of that yeah, we talked about on the show, and I was and I was surprised because clearly it was like an actually a decently sized movie, maybe yeah. even a hit movie. Incredibly
1: so. overlooked and underrated film for sure. Yeah, definitely got to check it out. So
0: if you haven't heard that episode, that was just two weeks ago. So uh, whatever podcast listener of choice, you can find it back there waiting for you. But one week ago would have been the last time patrons would have had the opportunity to hear from us, and we would have been talking some Arnold Oh yeah, 1982. We talked Conan the Barbarian, directed by John Milius, and uh, the the sort of uh, cash grab sequel, Conan <laughs> yeah. the Destroyer. It went a little campier, <laughs> directed by Richard Flesher, which Jamie and I went into kind of at length. I, I think we, fe- I, I
1: feel think, like we shit on it a little too much, but I think we were just so passionate about the first one. That yeah, I, neither
0: of us, because you hadn't seen either either, right? No, no. Yeah, so neither of us had seen either film. We only yeah. knew them by reputation, and we were kind of shocked at how genuinely good Conan the Barbarian is. Yeah. And, just how, and how serious
1: film. it took the... <laughs> Took the story of Conan, which I didn't think was going to happen. Yeah. I thought it was going to be more like Flash Gordon, kind of what they do with the sequel, really. So. Yeah,
0: well, and it was two hours and fifteen minutes, and somehow yeah. it didn't—you fe- didn't feel that length. Not In fact, at all. I, f- I felt like I wanted to drink up more locations and more images from the film, and even yeah. even Arnold is actually used to great effect as uh, you know, the, just just his own his own look and body and physique. Um, so I was quite impressed at almost how nearly painterly that film was, mm-hmm. and then the second one was kind of what I thought the first one first would one's be, be. <laughs> where it's just it's more then, campy it's more yeah. it's more just plot driven and sort of nonsensical in a way that's like not interesting yeah um, and, and
1: it doesn't focus a lot on Conan actually no. like I felt like I, I was more uh, Conan was along for the ride while the princess's <laughs> story was more at the forefront yeah so.
0: and I mean even if the, just even if the princess's story was more interesting you might yeah, get it but exactly. no no one's story in that movie is interesting no, so not it's really. just weird when like the rage of Conan the barbarian when he's you know facing off against James Earl Jones who's yeah. just incredible in that first film Yeah, it's really missing from that second one but Definitely. either way if you want to hear us get more in depth I think we went for an <laughs> hour and a half on those <laughs> yeah. two films somehow Yeah, uh, you can find that episode at patreon.com slash podcast it was just last week's episode so it's waiting for you Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but this week, we're going guestless again. We're going the OG, the Old OG school. boys from just like our, our original couple episodes when we didn't have a guest because I wanted to talk about a film uh, that apparently a remake was supposed to be coming out <laughs> possibly this week. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot that you <laughs> told me there was a remake of this movie. Yep. Or coming out. Uh, and, and why, by the way. They <laughs> pushed the film back indefinitely. So. Oh i don't so it's know if it's coming. Not i don't know if it's coming out this year apparently they shot it or something oh. so do you know who the director was no clue i can't even remember i, I did it's look it up such but a it was weird
1: movie to remake man like it's yeah. such a unique movie itself it's already has a, <laughs> its own ideas it's not like a franchise well thing, and so it's, it's, and it's from the
0: year 1990 like stuff from yeah. the 90s is not even remotely not dated yeah, yet. yeah, uh, yeah
1: exactly <laughs> Like the technology, like you still kind of have that modern technology uh, look and feel of things in the '90s, so it's yep. it's odd. Like do we have the Matrix and whatnot. So yeah,
0: so it's it's just it's it's weird because it, it doesn't feel like we should be remaking '90s stuff yet. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like what are
1: we Are we gonna remake
0: the Matrix? That it just seems that's next.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like it's it's getting a little scary, it's getting a little scary. But the
0: film that we're going to be talking about is Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. Uh, directed by Adrian Lyne. Um, so good. Famous for uh, doing the films in the 80s, such as uh, sort of like erotic kind of thrillers, but also, you know, I don't don't know necessarily I just say qualify Flashdance as that, but I would say Fatal Attraction. 1987 is definitely kind of like an erotic thriller. So that's what kind of what he got uh, well known for. And then somehow he got gifted the screenplay for uh, this, which is, uh, I'll say... Uh, there's one scene that briefly attempts eroticism and it's so horrifying that you can't actually, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it that. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> we'll say that this is a very psychologically engaged film and less of yeah. an erotic film in, in, in that sense. Absolutely. So the way, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the 1990 film, Jacob's Ladder, a kind of uh, psychological Vietnam horror film. Uh, and then we're going to be pairing it with uh, a film that, because uh, I hadn't seen Jacob's Ladder, so I wasn't really sure what to pair it with when I was going to do this. But uh, one of my personal favorite and underrated Vietnam films that I think was similarly nightmarish um, and also psychological mm. in its own way yeah. um, was Brian De Palma's uh, casualties of war. Obviously I have a, a huge bias in what we talk about on the show because Brian De Palma is one of my just all time favorite filmmakers. So. And he's become one of mine now for exactly, sure. Like, yeah. I See, mean,
1: every movie, this guy hasn't gotten less than a four star film. So I mean, we might, this is, this is
0: just the Brian De Palma stand show. So yeah, that's, absolutely. uh, we figured anyway that we would, if we're going to talk about Jacob's ladder, which is, um, You know, as far as Vietnam war films go, which was a huge genre that bursted out in the 1970s and and through to the 80s. um, We're talking about uh, Jacob's Ladder 1990, which kind of comes at the tail end, kind of the end of the Vietnam film being a profitable kind of film. Yeah,
1: which also I think might lead to why it does what it does and kind of
0: leads. Try something new. yeah, Yeah, it's
1: almost talking on like, well, what you think is. PTSD and things like
0: that. It's it, it's interesting because you would think that Jacob's Ladder was kind of like not a very commercial film, like it's a very depressing, very yeah. not not like out There n- a lot n- of
1: dark imagery.
0: Yeah, well, and what's interesting also is that because – so like this film and Casualties of War are kind of like the last what we know as the traditional Vietnam War films. And both tried to do things that were different from sort of like what those other films looked like. Like we're talking like Platoon and Apocalypse Now and things like that. These films tried in their very different ways to – you know, separate themselves from previous Vietnam films, and Brian De Palma was like, "Well, what if I just make the realism and disgust factor even higher? Yeah, um, and just make everyone completely uncomfortable and not have a good time at all." Nope. Um, <laughs> and so,
1: yeah, c- there's not a lot
0: of like, you know,
1: I it's not like you're watching war films and you're going like, yeah, "I want to kill a him, time. I want all yeah. this," but there's just a little bit more. To be entertained by, yeah, in the classical sense, whereas both *Casualties of, of War* gets really dark and very, very, um, just uh, almost inhumane at times.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, these both of these films I think are go well together because they're they both have sort of nightmare depictions of Vietnam in ways yeah. that aren't similar to previous Vietnam films. Both of these films kind of want to... They almost battle the interpersonal things of people. They want to be almost endurance tests for the audience. How much can you suffer with these people? Yeah. Uh, And again, that they both do it in completely different ways, and one year apart from each other is kind of amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That's Jacob's Ladder and Casualties of War, and I think we're just going to jump right into it. We're going to talk Jacob's Ladder. Sounds good. Maybe the demons are real. He's running 106 feet
1: with... (laughs) This is Bob Barry. I can get rid of the demons. Who are you? I can block the ladder. Who are you? Where are you taking me? Where am I? Where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive.
0: All right, we are talking Jacob's Ladder, the 1990 American psychological horror film directed by Adrian Lin. Uh, The film stars Tim Robbins as uh, the titular Jacob, Jacob Singer. He's a traumatized Vietnam War veteran who uh, finds out that his post-war life is a little bit more fragmented and nightmarish than typical PTSD and finds himself attacked by all kinds of demons and horned creatures and kind of suffers a Kafka-esque conspiracy thriller in the mix of it all Yeah, uh, yeah. as he makes his journey between uh, sort of reality and dream. Um, And and I would say that this is unlike any Vietnam War movie film previously. I mean, we've talked about Vietnam movies before on the show. We did one episode on them where we talked um, First Blood. Oh, which right, was right. which was sort of a um, which was interesting because it was less of an action than it was uh, Rambo as the slasher uh, yeah. killer in that film, uh, a man suffering from PTSD and coming home and finding that he 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 doesn't have a place at home. And the, but we paired that one also with Rolling Thunder, which was a very similar sort of story of a guy suffering from PTSD mm. and kind of the more because uh, like I would say the thing about those films is that neither of them really. As much as I think both of them are excellent films about PTSD, and um yeah. specifically in how that relates to the American action film, both of them kind of being action movies in their own way, um what they didn't do was kind of get into those characters' heads in a filmmaking style. Yeah. Which I would say yeah. Jacob's ladder is the sole That's purpose re- for its existence yeah, is yeah, what it's pretty it kind of What the
1: film is, is kind of getting inside this Vietnam vet's head. And uh, I mean, there's we'll get into what it is also doing, I think, as (laughs) as as we go on, because it's also kind of alluding to like a heaven and hell and purgatory state and Mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, But I think what it presents with you at first is just kind of this like first POV version almost of PTSD and like the psychological effects of what he himself is seeing rather than like with. With the other movies we've watched, we have kind of see them react to maybe what's going on in their head, but we don't see what exactly they see. Yeah. This time, we're getting into the, the very depths of his brain, and we're seeing all the things that are kind of being personified, uh, all his issues that are being personified in the world now. Um, yeah. You know, we what? see demon faces. We see a <laughs> homeless guy with a tail you know, it's just weird shit that you oh, can't yeah. there explain. Are, there are
0: moments in, the, in this of, like, like actual Lynchian, like, absurd yeah, horror. Like, I'm absolutely. thinking, that, like, that nurse when her cap falls off and there's just, like, a tooth or whatever coming yeah. out of her head or yeah, something. Yeah, like,
1: like an alien root <laughs> of yeah, some you're, kind. You're just, yeah. like
0: what? (laughs) (laughs) Why? And so is Jacob. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I I think it's kind of fascinating that the film kind of opens on what you would think would be the traditional Vietnam war film. Yeah. Um, where like it kind of opens on the scene that you would get like the first real brutal scene that you would get in a film like that, where just their squad is ambushed and he's watching all of his friends get like brutally wounded and the helicopters are flying and you get the orange sky, you get the, the location like, like, this movie is traveling in images you've seen before. Um, yeah. and what's interesting is that it, it presents this as a flashback in which case you see all of these guys getting brutally murdered and you assume that it's obviously by, um, the Vietnamese is right. what you, you just naturally assume because that's what you've seen in all the other films. Uh, but then you start to see the guys kind of like convulse and like cough up blood and start like, you know, having like these really severe headaches And all of these things that that don't seem like they're being shot at. (laughs) Right. um, Which kind of throws you off. And then you see Tim Robbins, uh, who, again, would not be your typical actor you would see in a movie like this. You just see him get uh, bayoneted in the gut. Yeah. And then, bam, he's on the subway. Right. And you're just like, oh, he survived that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then the rest of the film is like. Did he? (laughs) he? We'll see. We'll We'll see. Come on this journey with us and we'll
1: see if he did. (laughs) Exactly. Cause then it's like, and and what's interesting too, is it doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really say like, uh, it doesn't uh, wait to show you these psychological, you know, Horrors that he's seeing it's pretty much Right as soon as he gets on the subway right like He he yeah. has his flashback He wakes up on the subway and then from Then on oh, yeah. and, and by the way he's, he's re- in a night He's reading
0: the stranger the book the stranger By Camus okay. uh, Which is like again one of these kind of Really like psychological isolated Novels and stuff oh, like that that's so like it, and, and, and that's cool I mean he he looks at The the sign on the on the Subway and it just reads hell
1: yeah Which is <laughs> for me it was just Like welcome You know what I mean? Like, essentially, I think what this movie is uh, should, can we get into kind of like what it's really doing or yeah, we should,
0: we we should, because it's kind of hard to dance around it because the the film honestly acts a little bit like a bit of a Mobius strip in that Mm -hmm. sense of like, it's kind of like connected. It's all connected. It's one of those screenplays, which sometimes I can find a little annoying because they can seem overtly constructed in that way. Like they don't feel natural because it's like every little thing, detail you see has to have a purpose where it's all going to come back.
1: Because then when you watch it the second time, it's a (laughs) different perspective. It's kind of like the sixth sense you know it's like the yeah. second time you watch it you have the answers now so you see things differently yeah exactly it's Designed that way so
0: like every moment of, so it's kind of hard to get into the details of this film without kind of talking about yeah. where this film eventually uh kind of kind of gets to yeah. so i mean maybe we should but we should maybe jump into just the i mean What happens on the subway to him is that he just sees, he basically just starts seeing demons right off the bat. And you're kind of like, what the fuck are these demons? What I like that it
1: starts too is it doesn't start off with like the the blank demon face that they use a couple times in the film. It starts off with just this old woman Mm -hmm. that just is staring. And, and just won't answer him. Just yeah. doesn't, it's just a blank stare. He's like,
0: okay. And really? he's just kind of
1: like, all right. And then <laughs> such a great detail is when he gets out of the train yeah. and she just subtly stares at him right as they go off.
0: As the and it's just, busy. it's
1: very subtle. There's not a lot to it. It's just, it it puts in this uneasy feeling inside you that you're right. like, what
0: is going on? It's that same kind of horror that we see a lot in, and we'll actually talk a little bit on, on next week's show where you mm. kind of see the, people know something the main character doesn't know. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like when you go into a community and the community knows something and it, and, um, and
1: it's like these people can't tell the character. Either. Yeah.
0: It reminded me of wake and fright in that same way. Like sure. that kind of like all of these people know something and they're all very overtly aware of the new guy who's just got here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as, as the, the film progresses, we come to understand that the reason that he's feeling that and the reason that that's a thing is because he is in a purgatory state.
1: Yeah. And it almost seems like the movie, cause I was, I was kind of battling with whether I saw it as if he was in hell or if he was in purgatory, cause it would make, I guess, more sense that he's in purgatory because eventually it leads to him getting to heaven. Um, But at the same time, it's almost like he had to battle his way. It it seems like he goes from hell to heaven rather than just like a middle ground. Well, yeah. This place seems demonic. It does not seem positive or neutral. You know, it it seems pretty evil.
0: (laughs) Well, because it it seems like there's two forces kind of fighting for you know, for yeah. him. In, okay. That's, a, that that's a good
1: way of putting it. Right. Yeah. Is that
0: some, there are demons trying to pull him down and there are other things, other memories and other sort of kinder trying to keep That hope
1: intact and like keep him fighting. And yeah, going, and, yeah. And it
0: makes sense when we get into, and which we'll get into a little bit later when we get into like the big climax reveals and how this is all supposed to make logistical sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, because they, they do explain that it's called Jacob's ladder for a reason that he is on the ladder and there are some things trying to pull him down. Right. Right. And that, uh, the thing that put him down there in the first place, uh, there's a reason he's already there. And then the rest of the movie is kind of watching him try and climb his way up it, right. Um, in, right. in these really sort of fragmented nightmarish sequences, um, that are, are edited where he, you're, you're kind of getting the Vietnam um, sort of brutal ambush sequence at the same time as you're getting this sequence of him in a, a vague purgatory that seems kind of mixed with his, his memories, but also like an imagination of like hmm. he survived because he hasn't sort of accepted the fact that he's dead yet. Yeah. And then also mixed with like, these more dreamy um, sort of reunions with his family that he had previously right. to going into and Vietnam, that, and
1: that's part of the genius of the movie too. Is kind of like how it plays with you, the the audience member, because there's that sequence where it
0: kind of just drops you in. Like it right. doesn't it doesn't explain any of this, and you sl- like you know, in the same way that it doesn't. You know, Jacob is also very confused and disoriented by this experience, hmm. but the filmmaking also just drops you kind of like headfirst into it, and it's yeah. just like figure out what's happening here.
1: Right. And I think I thought a powerful <laughs> scene where that is very apparent is um, when, you know, he, he, you, he sets it up so that you're with uh, Jess quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you kind of get used to them and you're like, okay, they've got some chemistry, you know, there's some love here, whatever. And then they have that part where he um, goes to sleep and he wakes up with Sarah, his, his mm-hmm. actual, his, his ex wife who he has the kids with. and, and, and what you think is that it's going to be a flashback where it's like when he was with Sarah or whatever. Yeah. But instead, he talks about the fact that he's been having a dream where he's dating Jess. <laughs> so this whole 45 minutes that you've seen already, he's now talking like it was just a dream. And, and, and now I'm with my real wife and my reality and my love. Yeah. And then, you know, it has a great scene where... You know, it shows his family. He's talking to Macaulay Culkin, which is his son. Yeah, which
0: if you notice, he puts him to bed singing uh, a song that he was also singing while he was delivering the mail uh, in the pre when he's working at the post office with Jez. Oh, right. He's singing a song while he's in the truck delivering the mail. And then he later in, in his further deep down dream sings that song to uh, Macaulay Culkin, his son, Gabe, oh, okay, who died right. before he, who died apparently supposedly before he went to Vietnam. But then there's also letters that he sent him while he was in Vietnam. So I was kind of confused. Like, yeah, but I, was but, but, but I think that, I don't think that the film is entirely meant to work. Like, like that because it's weird because some of it is very clearly memory. But then yeah. a lot of it is clearly his own desires and imaginations affecting right. those memories, and it's so,
1: constantly on that fine line there. So, like ma- maybe he really he
0: he just really wanted his son to still be alive, so he imagined that his son was sending right. him letters. Um, and and, I, and again, in his dream, or when you're talking about that scene where he he goes even further down his dream and he wakes up next to his uh, his his ex-wife. Right. Um,
1: now I remember why it wasn't because he slept; it was because he was having that fever. And they put him in the yeah. cold ice, yeah, so he exactly. was like, rever- like he was going further, deeper I mean, into the brain, down, basically, exactly. yeah. Exactly. And then when he's like, he has this moment of pure bliss, and you don't really get to see that throughout the film at all with this guy, and and he's with his family, is in, in this loving environment, and then all of a sudden they bring him back to life. Yeah, and they bring him out of it's it. It's this fantastic shot, shot of, his of, face. of his face, and he just looks like he's he is dead in, on <laughs> the inside. And he wishes that he could just go back to that death, I guess, guess. because, you know, this reality or reality, quote unquote, there's so many layers to this damn film. But uh, (laughs) uh, this reality is now his like new hell. And when before he had that moment, it was kind of his heaven. So it's like he just keeps getting punched (laughs) in the face. (laughs) Yeah,
0: because he's basically made up. A he survived his bayoneting in Vietnam and he came home and his wife left him because of some sort of strife to do with their dead child. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he has since sparked up a relationship with his coworker at the time, his really hot coworker. worker right. El, uh, Elizabeth uh, Pina, who is actually awesome in the film as mm, well. Fantastic. And – the really interesting thing about that is when he wakes up and he are, and he's he's next to his he's imagining that he's with his family again, and he says, "Man, I had this dream that I was really with I was like with my hot coworker. So it's very clear yeah. that he liked her, sort of, but yeah. he was with his wife exactly. and now he's yeah. imagining that he's with her now that he has an ex-wife. So it's kind of like d- did any of this happen in any capacity? right? Or like or is it just, Again, there's a thing that happens to him that sort of activates his desires and his more primal behavior, and is that mm-hmm. just he he felt a lot of lust towards her, and therefore he's just imagining yeah. that he's with her. So are you?
1: Now? Know, are, are you also kind of saying like because we mentioned the the letters or whatever? Yeah. Are you think that that might even be something that he's? almost creating so that it's like there's certain there's there is reality and there is what's in his head but he's kind of mixing it to a point where it's just because
0: if we're gonna I mean it's hard to dance around this whole thing we should maybe just break break down the entire structure so that we can really get into it but the whole the whole thing that happens is it's it's a big reveal in the film that he and his, his entire platoon who we meet a little bit, some of the characters, uh, of, um, in when this film sort of transitions into a bit of a conspiracy thriller where he's <laughs> yeah. like, I'm not the only one suffering from these like Lynchian hallucinations, which, uh, the craziest one for me is that dance party one, uh, Oh where, yeah. where, uh, you, 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 get to see the one Vietnam dude is there and then he like shakes and hovers like David Lynch style, like in twin peaks mm-hmm. into Ving Rhames's body. Uh, The guy from Mission Impossible, who funny enough, also a soldier in uh, Casualties of War. Yeah, I noticed uh, that. I was like,
1: damn, this guy just does Vietnam movies. (laughs) Uh,
0: But then it's his body now. And then his head is shaking, so you can't see the face. And then it has a mask on it, and it's shaking. And then the oh, mask is like, off, and it's shaking. sporadic shaking. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And he's in the middle of this party. That. Um,
1: and then he, he sees like a random bird head in the fridge and stuff like that. Like yeah, and it's real it, it, creepy shit.
0: Yeah, and and then there's like crows flying around the party. And then he sees uh, his 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 girlfriend, uh, Jez, dancing with another person in the, in the party. And then all of a sudden, she is getting uh, fucked on the dance floor by a winged gremlin-looking demon motherfucker (laughs) with a giant, like, lizard snake tail coming up and wrapping around her thighs and, like, coming between her legs. Which also
1: is what he sees on that homeless man at the beginning of the movie. So you're just kind of like, what are... and, And the thing is, too, the movie never really like explains what this the, the symbolism really is no i think it's more just these are of,
0: these are these are just objects of hell you assume yeah because yeah. later we do see some imagery that is sort of similar to this and he's opening like books like he's reading about hell he's actually reading about yeah, i don't, know if, I don't know if you know the idea of jacob's ladder is actually a biblical thing like there actually is a ladder to heaven in the bible in genesis like that's the oh okay. that's where this is called. The, the guy who wrote the film is very very um religiously oriented yeah so well, he definitely he, got he, that. He there's up, a
1: lot of allu- like you know they say things like you know it's like the the chiropractor is essentially a guardian angel and he think, says things like oh, yeah. hallelujah and things like that and like, all, they and do all, a lot all, of
0: all the names of the people are biblical jacob right. jezebel uh, his kids eli and yeah things like that so it's just like um the film is very oriented uh in that way but uh while he's suffering all these nightmare sequences he meets up with you know his platoon who the, the other survivors are also suffering these nightmare sequences so they start kind of like they hire a lawyer and they try, start trying to sort of uh sue the army to kind of figure out what happened here mm, yeah. and it's eventually discovered that a chemical engineer approaches him and tells him We've we expe- fucked up, bro. <laughs> we experimented on you guys on on this drug. I forget what the what the drug was actually called. I think they called it the ladder or something. Yeah,
1: it was something like that. Yeah,
0: um, that basically activated your most primal uh, rage and just sort of like raw instincts and desires yeah. and activated. They even that in mentioned
1: you. like testing it on kids
0: and they just ripped each other apart or and something monkeys. Like that. Yep. Um. Yep. And then they said they tested it and they were going to try and use it on the soldiers to make them better fighters. And they slipped it into their food while they were all sitting around eating in that opening scene and they all sort of hallucinated that they were being attacked but they were actually attacking each other yeah. and they were all brutally killing each other um, which is obviously uh, an, an overt <laughs>
1: <laughs> His power doesn't have much use if you can't control it <laughs> yeah so. and, what,
0: and yeah, it's, it's very clearly an, an, an overt metaphor for what these you know what this war did to the people like the people yeah, that at were home involved. here yeah, yeah exactly right so yeah. all these people went in there and were completely confused and disoriented and they were all uh, brutally murdered and don't understand what happened. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it seems like today we still barely know what the fuck happened. <laughs> uh, so this whole film is Jacob kind of in a, uh, Purgatory state where he has to sort of accept his 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 own death, and that's the reason. Kind of, he's he's seeing all of these things. He's seeing demons, kind of trying to maybe pull him him into hell, mm-hmm. and he doesn't want to leave because he has a lot of unfinished business and a lot of guilt, and uh, you know about his 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 previous family that he's left at home, and he's kind of just w- imagined this weird world where he's come home and he's alive, and he's trying to wrestle with all of that, and uh, you know, it, it's not really working no it's it's not going great for Jacob for a, for a large portions of this film there's demons trying to run him over with cars while yeah. they do weird fucking faces at him yeah. <laughs> Just um, odd waves and shit. There, like, there's a absolutely horrifying uh, hospital sequence that. Oh, um, when it
1: goes through all the corridors and we see like bodies piled up
0: and. Yep, and it well, and it's and that that
1: scene really felt like it was just going to like the darkest evils of his own brain. Like it oh, was yeah. like the labyrinth of his mind in a way.
0: Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. It's mm-hmm. it, it's almost uh I mean, it kicks off like with like exorcist levels of like medical fear and paranoia where like yeah. they first take him into the hospital.
1: Oh, and they have that that needle sequence where it goes right in his forehead.
0: Yeah, which obviously makes no sense. Like, no. that wouldn't work no, in any capacity. So a way to bring
1: health to one.
0: No. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it, <I'm>, <laughs> well, no, and I don't even think that you could get through his skull with that. Like it's yeah. just, it doesn't make yeah. like like he's he's having that this weird thing where like you He he has a slip disc and he gets put into the hospital because these guys try to uh, kidnap him in the car. Again, it's it's pretty insane how much this moves between like what is just a genuinely kind of like spiritual kind of like drama about like mortality. To like a conspiracy to like thriller. a conspiracy thriller where like yeah. guys are like kidnapping him off the street and being like shut the fuck up like don't talk about he's like, the chemical warfare. What the fuck? I don't, even know. He's he's like, I don't fuck? even know what I'm uh, talking. And <laughs> then and then how the chemicals have affected his brain and caused this this very sort of like absurd existential horror. Yeah. Um, and the way, again, that it just kind of shifts moment to moment from each one is kind of insane. Because when he slips his disc from those guys trying to kidnap him, mm-hmm. uh, you assume that they're from the army. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets taken to the hospital and you're like, oh, OK, like he's in a hospital. That's good. Uh, and right. then and then they're kind of dealing with him and they don't really know exactly, you know, like how to fix him because his chiropractor is like a specialist and has worked with him for so long. So he d- he doesn't know how to explain that, like, hey, yeah. uh, I would rather wait for the guy who knows me really and I well think to work this- Point on my back. didn't
1: they tell him that he's dead? Didn't they say that well, the chiropractor was dead?
0: I think they might have said that because yeah. they were
1: like they were. I mean, obviously, we all know now that it's almost like his own brain was, I guess, telling him that yeah. he was dead. To to because he's basically this movie is an inner battle, but uh, he he gets told that the chiropractor dead, so you assume that he has no other hope. Basically, it's like no no other person knows his issues other than that guy. Yeah, so it's like the one thing that he kind of had. It's just been taken away, well, and now he's in this hospital that, you know, it's full of people that want to kill him. And well,
0: it, well, it's just funny because when they him. first take him to the hospital, like it just—it's a normal hospital set. Right. But then all of a sudden they wheel him on his stretcher. <laughs>
1: yeah, in, in, into into like, yeah, into
0: like yeah, into like this like dilapidated wing that's like covered in rust and just completely disgusting. And as he's yeah. being pushed through it. Um, you know, there's all these like really bizarre, like sort of like mental patients in there. And then there's, um, the wheels uh, of his stretcher just start like running over limbs, like bloody limbs. And yeah. like, you see, uh, sort of like these just deformed, like mutilated people. And mm. you know, it, it's, it's, uh, and then they even do from, a call back to the head guy, the guy yep. that's spinning
1: the head. It's almost like, I don't know what that's, that, that w- the sim- symbolism was there. I don't know if you had like. A, a thought on it or well, something. Well, but just intru- to
0: bring it up twice seemed significant. For well, me. because in the opening scene, the people who are convulsing kind of look like that. They don't look like oh, that okay. to a cartoonish effect. But it's, right, it's right. interesting because there's a very close up shot of Ving Rames who's like convulsing and he's coughing up a yeah, lot right. and his head's shaking and freaking mm. out. And then later That's, you see his exact yeah. body doing the same thing. But again, his head is shaking in a more special effect kind of way. Right, right. Uh, in okay. in in his his dreams, because again, he's taking memories and he's almost applying them into this absurd dream world where right. all of this stuff is like more aggressively uh, yeah. a- absurd and visual in ways that it previously wasn't. Um, but that that hospital sequence from what I understand went on to inspire uh, Silent Hill.
1: Okay. That yeah, they, I can they, see that, that they sure. actually
0: came up with the imagery for the first game based on some of that sequencing oh, is what I read. Oh, that's very so. cool.
1: That's awesome. And I <laughs> could definitely see that because, I mean, that's basically what Silent Hill is. Like corridors,
0: tight. Everything is disgusting. Th- there's one guy who doesn't have, like, a mouth and another guy who doesn't have eyes. And then they're – yeah. Uh, I, I do the part where they're, like, performing on him and they're just like – and he's screaming, he's like, you can't do this to me. Like, I'm alive. And he's like, well, why are you here? <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. You're dead, man. And he's like, yeah. no,
1: no. <laughs> it's so oh, it's so deliciously horrifying.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think Tim Robbins is quite excellent in the film. I haven't, I, I, I got to confess. What was he
1: like at the time? Do you know what he was more known for? Because I thought you said that he wasn't exactly known for like these kind of thriller, psychological
0: kind of movies well i'm gonna be honest i haven't i haven't seen a lot of of that kind of um tim robbins like previous to this like i've seen him in shawshank and i've seen seen him in like high fidelity and like mystic river by clint eastwood came out early 2000s like i've seen him him in quite a few things but uh, i'm not familiar with this period of tim robbins but i just remarked in sense of he's not really what you would assume as like the as this kind of character you know he's not like he's not like de niro he's not like stallone he's not like like he's he's a little bit more boyish almost
1: like michael fox almost like in casualties of war a little but
0: even michael fox almost makes more sense it's just uh, okay but like you would you would assume this role would be played kind of like by a more macho character even like a sean penn or something like that yeah i get what you're saying um and and even for a PTSD film, usually like these guys are soulful and filled with so much pain and agony. And when you first meet Jacob, he's actually kind of like a pretty happy dude like a nice yeah, dude pretty normal like he's guy. he's yeah. having sex with elizabeth uh pena and you're like nice yeah and then he seems
1: happy about it <laughs> yeah he's happy
0: about it and then he's you know he's cracking jokes and he's smiling i mean the the, the young girls on the street are singing uh, postman to him and yeah. he's having a good time really
1: what sets him but off but then the is subway the,
0: the subway just fucks him up man yeah. he tries to and exit also that i think subway.
1: uh seeing that picture of his son it's almost like oh, that yeah. sparked something in his purgatory mindset where it yeah. was like Oh, and then like the hell started because Well, because it
0: was almost like Purgatory tried to make him comfortable. Yeah. And then the demons tried to pull him out downward. And then he has this whole other sort of like this very strong emotional connection to, you know, his 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 previous family, Hmm. his his ex-wife and his I mean the it was three kids and down to two. And I think
1: the doctor helps him like almost instill hope into him. Like when he goes to those meetings and gets the chiropractor done. Uh, it it his almost his seems like because he, he always talks about, like he was talking about Sarah. He's like, she she still talks about you, you know. She still yeah. loves you, that kind of thing. And it's almost like the one thing in the movie that keeps him, at least somewhat positive, because everything else is just kind of yeah know, taking him down. So,
0: well, yeah, and he has that great that great um, he kind of has a great line where he talks about the idea of of hell wants to burn your life, mm, that it, yeah. it, it wants to burn your memories. It wants to it wants to do this and that, you know, you know maybe. Maybe if you look at this from a different kind of angle, maybe that could be freeing to you and not necessarily like a punishment. Like if you, if you just finish whatever, you know, business that you, you have left here, you could, you could transcend and you you could, there's a nice way out of here. Yeah. If, if you think about it, if you stop and think about it for a second.
1: Which is great. Like the guardian angel kind of has that line too, where it's like, if you fight, you know, if you fight it, it's, they're just going to keep fighting you. They're just going to keep tearing it down. But if you accept you know, th- just just move forward and accept, then, you know, the angels yeah, well, and, and, will take and, and, you to
0: heaven and all well, that. And that was why I understood why he was so close to hell, too, because you kind of brought that up at the beginning. Like, yeah. You were like, it seems like he's more in hell than anything else. Yeah. And,
1: for me, it was like hell to heaven rather than a middle ground. Well, bottom. yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's because that's where the latter sent him.
1: Okay, the drug, yeah, right? Yeah. Because because
0: he said that the whole point, point was that it takes you all the way to the very bottom, all the right. way to your base anger, all the way to like your your sort of just like your most primal desires yeah. in every sense. So he he kind of starts and that's when he's bayoneted, right? When he's in that state. Yep. So it's almost like he's already at the bottom when the movie starts. Mm-hmm. Um and he kind yeah, of he kind of slowly um, you know, ma- makes his way out and all of these details kind of um Build up like the recurring images of his son and 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 the bike. I mean, did you see the shot of the the bike that his son gets uh, hit by a car while riding uh, oh, is actually okay. in the dilapidated hospital?
1: Oh no, I don't think I noticed. Yeah. That, so no. like
0: there, there's all kinds of stuff like that happening in this movie yeah. where like, you know, his, you, you can tell that this world is being constructed by his own psyche that has been yeah. damaged both by the war and by like literal, uh, chemical warfare that's been committed against him by yeah. his own country. Um, and you know, a lot of his unfinished emotional, uh, business with his family and, and, and guilt and things like this. And, and again, it you, you probably can't speak highly enough to the way that, um, Adrian Lynn really gets you into the headspace with the filmmaking. Yeah. Because as, as it cuts between again, those three different kinds of stories that are happening and then the different tones of genre, it's just, it's kind of bizarre to watch.
1: Oh, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's it's almost it's jarring at times, but it's not in a way that's not digestible.
0: No, and I, and, I, and I found it kind of rewarding. If anything, yeah, absolutely. If, if anything, my only ob- ob- objection was that I kind of felt maybe it was a little too clean. Sure. That maybe like the fact that it all wraps up with like a little bow felt to me a little untruthful. Of specifically, maybe just Vietnam stuff. I would agree with
1: that. I do. I do think though what it was trying to do was more of like his personal story. Yeah. You know, so it's like, what it's trying to do. So I was, I was like, as, as much as I do love a good, you know, crazy hard ending, that kind of (laughs) thing. I did absolutely feel just, just, just very nice when he was with his son, his son tells him it's Okay. And then they just Come go up. On up. they go up to heaven together. I'm like, you deserve that, man. Well, you yeah, fucking he, deserve that. He, he, wa- <laughs> he
0: walks him up the stairs of his old house, and he takes him into the blinding white light. And then the white light is obviously the the, the medical tent that he's in in Vietnam, where we've shown that he got uh, you know helicoptered, he got choppered yeah. out, and uh, he he died on the medical table there. Yeah. Um, but they do have a great line where they they look at him dead as they tried to save him, and they said, you know what, he he looks kind of peaceful.
1: Yeah. It's like, nice. Yeah. It is like,
0: it's kind it, of a nice ending. It actually. really
1: is. Like it's especially seeing there, him there, go through hell and well, then because, having this. And, and I love that, that they add to, he's like, he put up a hell of a fight, you know, it's just like, cause then it kind of, it, it puts that, that, uh, I guess you, you could say it's like, puts that nice little bow, with with the rest of the metaphor, where it's like he put up a fight, and you just watched him put up that fight.
0: Yeah, well, so that because, was Because it's cool. two hours of just like psychological anxiety and yeah, torment, <laughs> exactly. and you're you're, you're kind of like Jesus <laughs> just Christ. so happy he got together. And then with and, and, it, and it all builds to one like <laughs> last 10-second moment of relief at the end of the film. Right. And it actually reminds me a lot of uh, David Lynch, one of my favorite films of his, Twin Peaks: The Return, which has a very similar um, kind of. Um, framework which is the story of laura palmer and how horrifying her existence was and that death is like the one relief that she's like just a completely tormented destroyed person through and through by everyone she's been disappointed and hurt by everyone and then the one time you actually see her with like a, a non um fake smile on her face is when like the light comes up and she's like oh yeah, and it, it, it's a very similar kind of thing that happens here. Um,
1: it's kind of even similar to like how Eraserhead ends. When yeah. you get that like one little glimpse of bliss at the end, where he's yeah. like, "I'm in heaven," or yeah. this this light, you know, this bright light, and and but the rest of the movie is just an anxious, nerve wracking, horrifying film.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think we should enter the reductive rating round on this sure. one. For me, this gets like a, a a pretty a pretty high high four. I mm-hmm. really. Um I don't even know necessarily what's keeping me from from the 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 five on it. It might yeah. be that maybe a, I just have a bit of an allergic reaction to films that are just so overtly constructed like this unless there's sure. like a really really you know overt purpose. Like I don't like I don't necessarily mind it. It's just um it's kind of a case of like it's it's a very written film if that makes sense and Definitely. i and, and i think that the filmmaking accentuates it and makes it all better but it's yeah. just one of those cases where like every little thing has to like kind of like lock into place and it, it, it's designed for that kind of like we've taken you on this very, very, um, manipulative ride basically. And, and that's, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That would just be the only thing I think that, um, maybe doesn't have this film transcend for me in a way that like a five would in like a way where I like really, really, Feel it despite the fact that I think that this is pretty much strong in everything that it attempts to do. Yeah, it really is. So, like, it's almost hard to even say that that's a knock against the film because I don't know that I would change anything about this film the way that they do it. So, Um, I I really dug it for basically every, th- every reason that we've said I think it's it's strong as a conspiracy thriller um, I think it's lynching <laughs> horror which, yeah. which I will say Definitely. maybe maybe if because I'm comparing so much to David Lynch, David Lynch is someone who's just so averse to giving you the answers that I was kind of sure. shocked when this one hits its third act and it gives you all the answers yeah. where you, it, it just has a scene where a guy comes in and gives you the exposition answers on what happened and why this is all happening yeah. and I was kind of like I don't know that that's necessary, I don't dislike it, I just don't know that it's it's really really necessary to know flat out that chemical warfare was committed on these dudes and that's the reason that all this psychological craziness is happening Mm -hmm. um even though i don't think that it hurts the film in that way it's just um if i'm comparing to lynch that's the main distinction i would say between you know if lynch had made this film we would have so many more questions (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) about kind of what happened absolutely Um, but uh, I do think that it, it, when it goes from conspiracy thriller to horror to this kind of like spiritual um, drama about mortality, that it kind of does all three quite pretty damn well. Yeah. So I was yeah. pretty happy with it through and through.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm also going to give it the four. This is one that I, I could see getting the five mm. upon maybe a, uh, another rewatch or a couple. It's it's weird because it's like I agree with what you're saying. I, I totally see what you're saying. I think the reason it works for me with this movie is because it's such a personal ride for mm. him. You know, like a lot of the movies that you know where they try to wrap it up all in the third uh, the third act. It just seems because they needed to to tie those plot points up. Yeah. Whereas this one, it was almost like giving the the, the lead character some. Some bliss, you know,
0: some <laughs> some actual like happiness, and and that well, well, really well, hit me hard. Well, because yeah, one can even make the argument if I was going to counterpoint my own argument, for example, <laughs> yeah, we're getting that, real deep here. Well, because a lot of this is again is him kind of in that purgatory state, kind of blending memory and imagination, like who's to With say what he thinks is reality? And what, like, who, yeah. who's to say he didn't make up the chemical thing? He didn't have a guy come up to him and explain away this thing so that he could move on, right? He, right. So it's just like. Like, you know, like, like the movie doesn't, it leaves you with enough kind of like empty spaces for you to fill Mm -hmm. that like, that's why I didn't really feel that it hurt the film that much for me anyway.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you because most of the time doing that whole, like, here's just everything. Here's the
0: exposition dump where we explain all of this to you. Most of the time I'm
1: eye rolling. I'm just like, (laughs) all right, let's wrap it up. Give me the finale. You know, that kind of thing. But this one, I just felt like the character really deserved it, and so (laughs) I was very satisfied with when they were giving me the answers this time around. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah. And that being said, the the David Lynch-like imagery is unbelievable. I love the way that they use. It's very subtle. Like it's just like they'll they'll just have little two-second things. There's not a lot of heavy detailed shots on this weird stuff yeah it's all stuff like in passing or in the background and yeah it just it just creates an environment that's very unsettling um so yeah i'm gonna give it the four and i could see this
0: one getting Pumpkin the five up. eventually yeah. all right well that will wrap it up for jacob's ladder we're gonna be right back and we're gonna be talking casualties of war yeah De Palma, baby right we are back and we are talking casualties of war the 1989 american war drama film uh, directed by brian de palma written by david rabe based on the uh, uh very well-known new yorker article that came out in 1969 which is um, um just a a piece of journalism that specifically addresses this as the very real story that it is. I actually went and And it read, is,
1: because I, I didn't get a chance to, you know me, I like the, the history of it. Completely. I didn't get a chance completely to. Completely true. Wow, event, yeah. unbelievable.
0: Um, and unbelievable. I, I went and actually read the New Yorker article from 1969 before, because I had seen this movie a couple times, so I was like, maybe I'll do a little yeah. bit more research this time than I might usually, because I, yeah, I had just already seen the, the film. Time. I only had to do a rewatch of it. Um, and I read the article, and you would be pretty shocked at how close of an adaptation this is of, the, the real the article, the just the article that was written, like yeah. even the dialogue, Sean Penn's dialogue in the court scenes and stuff are ripped straight from the testimony because it's basically it's an wow. article of a guy interviewing the Michael J. Fox character.
1: Yeah, I was. That's what I was wondering. I was kind of like, well, how did they get this story? Was it the yeah. Michael J. Fox character that wrote yeah. it or was it like and,
0: and all of the names have been changed in the article to protect uh, everyone who's okay. been involved and to protect him because he's in like a kind of like military witness protection kind yeah, of thing. Because I mean,
1: well, we we see uh, we see Sean why. Penn give yeah. a little whisper at one point where you're like, oh shit, what could happen to this guy down the road?
0: Yeah, I- exactly. So uh, the article itself doesn't use any of the real names of the people. Okay, um, and it's all based on testimony from the Michael J. Fox character, who the journalist interviews and kind of gives a bit, you know, uh, colors some of his own research that he's done into the events too including yeah. the military documents and interviews with other people um, but Pretty closely beat for beat, uh, this film is a direct adaptation of that article. That's unreal. And the only thing that is really kind of changed up is the the court stuff makes a little bit more of a prominent appearance in the article, okay. whereas in the film it's kind of near the end of the film at that point yeah, when he does yeah. it. Um, De Palma clearly wanted to kind of hash out the drama of the middle of the middle chapter yeah. of this film. What which I is, will
1: say though, I do respect the fact that he that the time he takes still to do the court stuff and yeah. the and the after the event itself like it's yeah. not just like the event happens there's 10 minutes of aftermath like almost the second half of this movie is kind of like the aftermath and michael j fox dealing with right because you
0: could see a version of this movie where the horror happens and then they have the white text that says these guys were sentenced yeah, to this, and yeah like, you exactly, <laughs>
1: exactly you're like thank god De Palma did it
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well and, and what i find interesting when we're going to be comparing this to um jacob's ladder is that i will say this has none of the dream factor of Jacob's ladder. Yeah, no. It has none of this the is kind very of,
1: real, very down to it has none of reality. that kind of
0: like hysteria that you would see of even other Vietnam films that would go kind of like more nightmarish and like the horror of it and all of yeah. this.
1: Like this is, this is more it's just he, like on the ground. Like here it is. Yeah.
0: He's, he, he takes like an angle that's just like subjective realism, like the, yeah. um, the emotional and psychological realism of the guy who was there watching all of this. Right. Um, and then he just realistically depicts to you like an act so senseless and shocking that,
1: and just like, there's, there's no reason yeah, at all. Yeah. They go out of their way to do it. Yeah. That's what's even fucking crazier. So about he kind
0: of just depicts the mundane details of how it happened and it's almost more horrifying. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because you're kind of, you just, don't,
1: you don't need crazy symbolism for this darkness. Like this is just straight up evil shit. Yeah, it's what, what these soldiers were doing. Yeah.
0: And uh, De Palma said the reason he was uh, like really attracted to the story and he was attracted to the story because he read it way before this got made and it took a long time for this to get made because it was such an uncommercial version <laughs> of this film. Yeah, um, because they were just saying like, you know, either one, you're going to be, you know, depicting this kind of violence in a way that is. Um, uh, deeply uncomfortable, or and and sure. two, you're pinpointing, you know, the sort of the the American crime version side of this. So like, yeah. there were two factors in this that led people to be like, this is going to be a very unpleasant film, and it's going to make us look really bad.
1: Yeah, because it's yeah, because it's not like one of those things where it's like there's no real gray area in this movie. No, it's like these 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 guys were terrible. Like they're yeah. they're straight up what evil is. So it's
0: really. Well, and and it's fascinating too because De Palma got his career started. He was a a very politically activated film student – and he dodged the Vietnam draft specifically okay. because he didn't agree with it in any capacity. Yeah. Um, and he didn't understand on any level why that happened. And any he, he basically felt there was no moral justification or sense for it. And so when he saw this story, he was like it expressed the Vietnam dilemma in a dramatic and terse form that m- made a lot of sense to me. The, that our involvement there is like this, just this huge tragedy – um, yeah. that absolutely makes makes no sense. Um, and he said that it showed that we were over there basically fighting ourselves instead of any kind of enemy. Um, that to the boys of that age, the whole world of this strange land must have been like being on a different planet where values can get turned upside down. Yeah. Um, and it shows what happens when there seems to be no moral compass at all. The whole kind of irrationality that became the Vietnam War. So he's basically talking about the war as this irrational thing that people on mass just agreed to do this thing that didn't make sense, that was so violent and so horrifying. Yeah. And then he saw this story of a group, a small group of people deciding to do something that's so irrational and so violent. And he was yeah. like, so you kind of saw it as a metaphor for here's how a group of people can almost peer pressure each other into doing something we all know is wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he saw
0: the Vietnam war as kind of like a larger way to get at that, which to me made it one of the more interesting films just about that war because he saw the whole thing as an, he he basically sees a very hyper specific event of the war and how it sort of is an allegory for the whole thing at large. Okay. Um, and the way yeah. you get into it is uh, very horrifying and very dramatic, um, and the way that he break like gets you into Michael J. Fox's very sort of passive witness character is horrifying. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know that I can think of another word like it's so ups, it's so viscerally upsetting to watch this movie that no I can't believe they bankrolled it to get it made because obviously yeah. this was I mean this was not the kind of film that you would get out of it and you would go tell your friends oh man have a great night at the movies and go check that one yeah, out this you is know a,
1: this is a sit down and think
0: like, it long su- and
1: hard it about the history <laughs> of the world and w- the actions that we have done
0: yeah like it didn't uh, <laughs> it didn't at all surprise me when I found out that this ended up being a box office disappointment and yeah. Yeah, they, they no, greenlit no it. Way. They greenlit it off the fact that Vietnam movies were really profitable at the time. Like movies like Platoon and Full Metal well, Jacket uh, be honest, were doing I'm so much I surprised though they weren't
1: still able to get asses in the seats. Just because they'd have the trailer they'd be like, "Oh, it's a Vietnam movie. These these are good." You know? Yeah. So you'd figure that they'd be like, "Well, De Palma's doing it.
0: Michael J. Fox. Yeah, Michael Do J. Fox, like Back you to know, the Sean
1: Penn." So it's like I mean, I could see this still getting asses in seats. It's just is it maybe the way that they well, advertise? It, but it?
0: also sometimes that's not enough, right? Some, like sure. you need weeks and weeks and weeks of people sure. coming coming back, or you know, telling other people. Like you know, and you, also
1: I'm sure the reviews were kind of like, "This is a hard watch."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. F- famously, I think it it did it did okay in the reviews. Like people sure. were mostly positive on it. Yeah. But the main glowing reveal was from Pauline kale who was just like a number one Brian the Palma champion, and nobody else really see. Like she was like, "This is like one of the best Vietnam War films," and no one else really kind of like agreed with her Mm -hmm. and De Palma was kind of like you know I like I tried Uh, yeah uh, there's there's a great segment in his his documentary uh, the De Palma documentary where he talks about this uh, about this film and he was kind of like I really uh, felt this movie like he was basically like I just really wanted to take a sobering look at this I mean this came out I think right after body double and the untouchables oh wow Uh, and we talked about body double on the show already which is perhaps his most like Kind of tongue in cheek, like ironic film.
1: Yeah, and The Untouchables is like, so, like that's a pretty big blockbuster. Isn't yeah, it? like people really enjoyed that one. Yeah, it was a yeah, audience. I think that
0: was why he was able to get this one made. Was off yeah. bank rolling off. Of such <laughs> a like, well, oh, I just like made that.
1: Untouchables. Now let me make my crazy Vietnam rape film.
0: <laughs> yeah, because like this is just one of his like, like. Really, really serious movies, I found. Yeah, oh yeah. Like he, he takes this material really, really seriously.
1: Even though there is a lot of, like, you know, good dialogue and entertaining oh, yeah. moments. Like Sean Penn, as, as evil as his character is, his acting is very entertaining. And, and you know, he's kind of got this, like, <laughs> <laughs> New York thing or whatever he's doing. I, I wasn't quite sure, to be honest. But I really enjoyed uh, the performances in this
0: movie. That's for oh, sure. Oh yeah.
1: There's definitely some visceral entertainment in that regard. Oh yeah, uh, it's just the story itself is just so hard to watch. And
0: yeah, know. I mean, especially as we get into the middle chapter of this film. Which I mean, maybe, maybe we should actually get into the the, the movie itself. Yeah, sure. Uh, I thought it was fascinating comparing this again to Jacob's Ladder that both of these movies open on the subway. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and like waking up, waking you know? up like on the subway. The yeah, is, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, and because it has Michael J. Fox, who he he kind of is is woken up on the subway. It's it's post Vietnam, um, and he he kind of sees a. Uh, a, a young uh, Asian woman who kind of awakens uh, this flashback structure into the film. Right where he's going back and he's it, it crossfades to his time, uh, in Vietnam. Cause again, De Palma can't think of any other story than a guy who just really wants to save a woman, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh vertigo <laughs> style. You know, that's just how it is. It's, it's just, just it <laughs> he, he, he sees, he sees that's a lead male character. I, well, yeah, again, he he sees the image of a woman who reminds him of another woman who he failed. Right. Like yeah, that's just exactly. like how it, you know, it's just how it, how it goes with him. Yeah. Um, even if it's a Vietnam movie, it's just how it's, how it's done. Uh, but it kind of shows Jay Fox as Michael J. Fox, uh, who plays, uh, it's his private Erickson. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, he's, he's a, a new arrival. He's only been there like a week or two or yeah. whatever it is. and Clearly
1: has like kind of like a naive feature to him. Like he's everybody yeah. else you see, they're not really interacting with the, uh, the locals or anything. Whereas yeah. he's like, you know, playing with the kids, he's taking food from them and, and, you know, they're saying like, don't take the food. They'll, the, the, they might poison you or something. And it, it and it's, and it's it's a weird line that you almost, as an audience member, have to balance because yeah. you kind of understand what they're saying. Like they're over there, and I mean they are the you know quote unquote enemy of um, the American. Yeah. So so they would see them as a possible threat and not to not to trust. And I'd kind of get that just being like trying to be secure while you're over there yeah but then at the same time you know you got michael j fox who's like you know these people are human beings right yeah you know and and then you're like yeah like y- you don't have to you know think of these people as these you know terrible enemies com- combatants all the time yeah uh because clearly they are trying to uh
0: just just be friendly at certain moments in the film. Yeah. Like when the kids are handing them food and they don't even trust the kids. They're just like, they're like, there's going to be razor blades in that food. Yeah. Uh, And then they're yelling at the old man. Uh, and very clearly they just don't even understand what he's saying. Yeah. Like, like, like there's, there's no communication here that is going to be helpful to any of them.
1: Right. They're not prepared. They're not, they don't understand the jungle, you know, and, and that kind of warfare. So things just get sporadic and these people lose their minds and, and, and they're also all on heroin. You know, there was a lot about the Vietnam War that's just like, regardless of what your mission statement was, uh, it turned out pretty bad. Well, and <laughs>
0: and people making decisions at the top obviously can't like, you know, they're like not the- there. They don't see the you yeah. Know. So
1: it's it's kind of like this. And weird- they're basing a lot of their strategies on what they knew about war already. The whole jungle yeah. warfare thing was a huge misstep for them because they had no clue what they were doing there you know. Yeah. They're not they were used to the trenches. They were used to the, you know, that kind of thing. And now they're dealing with, you know, booby traps and tunnels underground and and things like that. So Yeah,
0: it's just, you know, like they 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 had to put their, you know, they they just they they had to go there, you know, man. They just had to go. They had to go do something. <laughs> yeah. And uh it ended up just being like, well, a shit show. <laughs> a complete <laughs> atrocity for everyone involved. Yeah. And yeah. you're kind of just like, man, <laughs> Yeah, exactly but it, it's really interesting in in the early scenes when they're they're just trying to kind of like live day to day there's people who have been like yeah i'm i'm used to this place i've been here for like a month mm-hmm. longer than you or i've been here like uh, um, and which uh, is
1: crazy too cuz well i mean we'll get into it but they use that as an excuse for why they would do such a terrible thing remember yeah. john c riley's character uses that in the courtroom Speaking as an of which, excuse
0: young john c riley first yeah. uh, I, I believe it's his first movie
1: oh really because I was like, damn, C. Riley's looking fit. I've never <laughs> seen you looking fit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. I'm it's, used to his Will Ferrell days. Yeah, so it's. <laughs> it's, it's it's very interesting in, in the early scenes when you're just kind of seeing them all interact with each other and kind of get used to each other and also not really understand what it is that they're supposed to be really doing because they're, yeah they're, they, they you never, the thing that's interesting about this is you never really see the enemy. You see one enemy in this entire film. Really? Yeah. They um, almost,
1: they talk about it more than it actually happens. And they, they talk about it like they want it to happen. They're like, yeah where are these, I'm not going to say the word, but <laughs> yeah. where, where where are these Asian people <laughs> uh-huh. slur? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, And it's almost as if they want... Them to attack so that they can start attacking it's right like they're so bored well, well, because <laughs> and that's what
0: they and it's funny because like that's what they've kind of sent them to do so it's yeah. kind of like this thing where like they're just like find enemies and shoot them through. yeah we, we've allowed them to do it but at the same time like we haven't really explained the purpose because nobody right. really really knows yeah and nobody really exactly knows who exactly the, is enemy, the enemy is on the is. ground yeah. and it's kind of it, it it was a big problem and that's what's tough
1: too because it'd be like half the civilians would be on you know one side and then the other half would be kind of with rooting for America because there was a you know the regime there but once you're in it how are you going to know? Well, and then also it's a very disorienting. And, and then when the thing. film
0: gets into it, the Americans are obviously committing actual crimes against some people who aren't who aren't exactly. And then, and then they're militarily activating people who maybe wouldn't, wouldn't have done it. it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, it's so just like, an absolute and that, shit. And that's what this film kind of depicts is it shows you them taking someone who's completely innocent. Yeah. In this totally entire neutral, thing. Yeah. And you watch them get completely brutalized, and then you would understand why they would fight back against that. Absolutely. So then you're just kind of yeah. like, well, you you're almost then you're creating enemies. Yeah, exactly. And then it's and then it's even a a, a bigger problem for you. But there's an an awesome early scene where they're uh, being ambushed in the jungle. Um, and De Palma had to shoot this in Thailand and he apparently like built jungle sets because he, oh, wow. because he was kind of just like, well, you know, the jungle kind of just like looks the same. Like it's, d- it's disorienting yeah, yeah. everybody. So they would just shoot a bit of jungle. Then they would move the jungle set and they would shoot some more to oh, look like okay. a different angle on all of this. Okay. Um, and then he wanted that awesome shot where it kind of goes underneath the ground, kind of like ant, yeah, ant, that was a great ant, ant Hill style. Uh, Michael J Fox gets stuck in one of the holes where he's about to get attacked. And you're like, it's this really suspenseful sequence where you think that he's gonna get killed. Um, and then Sean Penn, uh, you know, who who actually is for all intents and purposes, a good soldier. Oh, for sure. Uh, he's he's good at, and I mean, I think that's kind of what De Palma is getting at: is the people who would be good at doing the job are probably kind of have some deep seated issues uh, mm. in the first place. Just
1: because, like, just because it's rooted in violence itself.
0: Yeah, he he's already unlocked a part of himself that would leave him r- to make him good at killing. He yeah. would have to be already sort of uh damaged yeah uh, and something i
1: found interesting too is like every time even michael j fox's character does it when they're shooting at at the uh at the vietnamese Mm -hmm. they are constantly swearing at them and it's almost like they're i for me it was like they were trying to almost dehumanize what they were shooting at so that they didn't feel like they were killing another human being because every time that they shoot they just start swearing they're like fuck you you know it's almost like they're trying to bring out the animal side in them so they don't feel it as much yeah no that was pretty powerful
0: absolutely because because when he kills that guy uh they they shoot the guy out of the tree in that sequence and then the one guy comes out of the hole and he shoots that guy down and sean penn is just like going ham you're like dude he's dead man and he's still just like going and screaming and freaking out right um uh because he's just he's he's already unlocked that primal part of himself and then you know he's expected to i guess carp compartmentalize it somehow when he goes back (laughs) into the barracks and (laughs) they're like and they're like normal dude what's up dude?" (laughs) (laughs) dude yeah exactly um and that's just what happens is that they they're they're kind of all sitting around and they're bored and like they they've they've been taught to dehumanize all of the locals in in a way and then they're sexually frustrated yep um and then they're they're told it wasn't
1: even like i think and i actually forgot about this scene there's a scene where they attempt to go into town in order to get quote unquote some R yeah and uh to hire some and, prostitutes and they're in not town. allowed yeah, Like, so I, I actually forgot about that, but it's, it's, it's like that one little thing sparked Sean Penn enough to be like, all right, well, we're, we're kidnapping somebody and giving it the go. Well, like, that's exactly what happens insane. is
0: they, they all get really upset because they're already like pre-drinking and ready to go right. into town and get, yeah. you know, go, go, uh, hire a prostitute. And then. They get sent back to their their barracks and Sean Penn is uh, shaving in the foreground of the shot. And it's a split diopter shot of all of them kind of like goof all of the guys goofing around in the background. And right. you can basically watch on Sean Penn's face him making the decision that he's about to do it.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, and-, and what's interesting about that scene, too, is like because I think that's also the the scene that happens after the the um, he's the commander. Uh, I can't remember. He gets shot. He gets like brutalized shot mid sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So then Sean Penn has this whole thing where his his friend and he was good friends with him. It seemed. Yeah. He was the guy who had been there the longest with him. Was brutalized in front of him while his arm was around him, and then and then he you know he's denied the 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 R and R. So this guy who all all obviously has a uh, violence inside him has now opened up this whole other part of him. It seems where he's like you know what then I'm just gonna scorch earth fuck the world you know i'm gonna do what i want while i'm in vietnam and man it's it's evil shit
0: <laughs> yeah and, and it's just awesome that you can see on his face that he's so like, yeah i almost forgot about the bit where his, his friend died because he's obviously yeah. uh, you know emotionally i think that wounded helps like send that. him over the talk and a that, little bit and then too. that and then plus the fact that he's not gonna get any pussy like really yeah.
1: just She's like lost my best friend not getting ass
0: yeah. 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 And, and I love that you can see the guys in the background too, who are all kind of like goofing around and they know. And then John C. Riley is like, Hey, the Sarge is here. What's going on, Sarge. Yeah. Um, and then he's like, well, we're going to break up the board, the boredom and we're going to requisition ourselves, uh, a young girl from town. And, uh, some of them think that he's joking. Michael J. Fox thinks that he's joking. He's like, right. he's joking, right? Like yeah. he's, like he's it, just, can't possibly be talking about or something, kidnapping right? like,
1: a Vietnamese Because, woman. because
0: yeah, I think he's addressing that idea that you kind of brought up where they're, they're kind of putting on like a, a macho animalistic performance right, to yeah. like feel differently about it. He's like, he's just talking. I the think shit, it helps right? with
1: like yeah. being in such a d- terrible circumstance. It's like, all right, well I'm, I'm the man, you know, I'm macho. I'll just, I'll play the part just so I can get through it.
0: Yeah. And, and he goes and he tries to tell another guy actually at the camp. And he's just like, like they, he's like, yeah, but they were just like shooting the shit. Like what did the other guys say? And he was like, Oh, like he cracked a joke about it or something. And he's like, yeah, see, like they're, yeah, like they're it's joking, yeah, yeah. Like, like it's just, a, uh, you know, guys being dudes or yeah. whatever. Uh, um, although
1: I will say, <laughs> I don't know if that applies to this one, right? It's like, I have for one, never been in a locker room nope. <laughs> and, <laughs> and was like, yeah, rape, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. uh, Because the next scene that they go is they're getting sent on a mission the next morning. So the night before they're about to get sent out on their next mission, their next, uh, you know, their whatever they're they're hiking to the next outpost or whatever Mm. it is. They run into the town that they were kicked out of. They kidnap uh, a young woman uh, uh, from her bed pull her out of her mother's arms. Yeah. I was going
1: to say from her like family too. Like it's, it's like like,
0: yeah, there's,
1: there's no humanity in this scene. It's just like we're taking her. It
0: it couldn't be any more clear that she was just a regular civilian. Oh yeah. Um,
1: and she looks young too. Like she doesn't,
0: she's living with her mom. Yeah. Like like, she's (laughs) a teenager. It seems like, like they
1: don't say the age, but it seems like she's more like 15, 16, (laughs) which makes it just, it just keeps going worse and worse as the details move on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just he he kind of Michael J. Fox sort of it immediately hits him that this is real, that this is what they're doing. And he's like, "Jesus God. Um, And in the background, you can see them sort of like start pulling, pulling her out. And he's trying to, like, move away so that he can't see it. And the camera kind of dollies with him, but it dollies so that he could still see it in the background. Yeah. And it's like he can't escape what his his, you know, uh, his his crew is doing in the background and they 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 pull her out, and he's like in immediate like moral turmoil over this because they're kidnapping and plotting to yeah. viciously rape an innocent civilian, someone who and, they're. Uh, I mean, as far as he knows, uh, they're supposed to be protecting those people. Right. Um,
1: and what's I, even crazier is that he's got to be sitting there just like, how am I the only one not good, cool with this? Yeah. You know, like he's with a crew. You'd think it'd be like. One or two dudes
0: fighting to do this. Oh, well, and,
1: and then three would be like, you're insane. But instead he's the only guy, just the lone wolf going, guys, this is clearly terrible. Like what well, are we doing?
0: And he, and he, there's a great moment where he looks over at John C. Riley, and he's just like, did, did you think he was serious? Like he was yeah. like, I thought he was joking. That's why I came here. Yeah. Like did yeah. you come here because you think he was serious or because he was joking? And John C. Riley just goes – he has like a bit of like a half-unbelieved smile on his face where he goes, yeah. I don't know. And that that pretty much encapsulates his entire character. Well, because. Which is
1: kind of like he just he doesn't make decisions for himself. He's, he's just kind of like. He's
0: like the Sarge is doing it so like clearly this is that's like what we a, do. This is yeah. like a thing that's okay. It's crazy. Like yeah.
1: he, his character has almost no decision making skills at all. It's just whatever the, he, whatever he's led to do, yeah. he does without thinking.
0: Yeah, the only other person who has a sense of turmoil about it is the John, John Leguizmo's character. Right. Um, who is the first one who's like, hey, right. I, I ain't raping nobody or whatever. He's like, you gotta have my back like yeah. on this. And Michael J's like, I got your back but you gotta have my back too. Um, and that leads us to the tent or the the, yeah. the the sort of hooch sequence, which is like sort of the middle sequence of the film that goes on for so long. Yeah. And so it's,
1: uncomfortably and long. <laughs> it's so
0: uncomfortable where um, one of the most brutal cinematic depictions of rape I think I've ever seen um, where. And
1: by doing it like subtly, like it's yeah. not like, you know, it's not like I spit on your grave kind of shit or like, you know, they have like, it's just, It's almost the way he films it, he puts just one camera in front of the tent and it just has like the three guys kind of talk while they're not doing what the other guy is doing.
0: Yeah. And well well and, it just, and, and the build up to it. I think it's almost oh, worse because oh, the course, build up to course. it is so yeah. long because because the Sean Penn character announces it so early on. You just know it's coming. And then it, and you see yeah. it. You see it slowly unfold and you just you know and you know and you know. And then there's the the the, the big sequence where they break it down, where they're like, We're gonna do it. Yep. And Michael J. Fox is like, no, like no. I'm, I'm not doing this. And Sean Penn obviously just threatens his life basically. Yeah. Well, he's like, what are you? He's like, are you a queer? Like, are you, yeah. are you whatever? Are you this? Are you that? And he starts yeah. like, you know, in that sort of like macho way, trying to belittle belittle him and then he starts justifying it by saying oh well she's she's uh she's a viet Cong prisoner yeah uh and you know i'm just a vc yeah he's like i gotta i "I gotta interrogate her that's a good impression actually (laughs) 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 thank you thank you (laughs) <laughs> Sean Sean Penn is pretty unhinged in this movie Just oh, in general completely, yeah. And I, I thought it was really funny there's a, there's It's a like
1: li- De Palma just let him do whatever the fuck he wanted Well
0: the funniest thing And I'm going to tell you because this is in the De Palma, works. In the De Palma documentary when he's interviewed about this movie He said that he's very proud of the performances And he said especially because mm. Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox Fucking hated each other it shows yeah and he was like it was so great for the performances for the film that i Hell didn't yeah. i didn't want to even like bridge the gap like he was like i was happy to have them. i'm just curious you know why they hated each other well sean just kind of like an ego thing because uh, he said that michael j fox was a tv actor and he was like sean penn i like, i'm a real actor and apparently uh, he hung well, out sean
1: penn is pretentious and, as fuck. and, and, and so sean I, penn hung
0: out with all the other guys and kind of formed like sort of like a bro kind of like, like, like we're movie actors you were just in Back to the Future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, he kind of forms like a bit of uh, uh, a hostility towards Michael J. Fox. And apparently uh, in in one wow. scene that they couldn't get it to work, it's the scene where uh, later after the rape, they try to murder Michael J. Fox uh, oh, Erickson. Oh, okay. Um, and is this deleted or did I miss? No, did you, it's the one where they put the grenade into the bathroom. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. They, they put the grenade into the bathroom. I was thinking we were still in the jungle. I, yeah, no, this is after all of that, but in the scene where after he gets almost killed by them, he runs in and he's just like, Hey, I already told everyone about the fucking rape that you guys committed, that the horrifying crime that you oh, did, yeah. and nobody in this military fucking gives a shit. So like, you don't need to kill me. Yeah, it's fine. So it's like, and congratulations, a, you assholes. He You're takes Scott a free. shovel and he smashes Clark's face yeah. uh, over it. Uh, and in this scene, they couldn't get it to work. For some reason, he said the performances just weren't driving because Sean Penn's supposed to be kind of like taunting him, doing his stupid like open mouth face that he does where he's like, ooh, like or whatever. Uh, And they couldn't get it to work. So Sean Penn, between takes, walked over to Michael J. Fox and clocked him, knocked him right over. Oh my God. And De Palma said that, uh, Michael J. Fox He thought Michael J. Fox was going to kill him. Like he thought that these like he two going to get up. He thought that that was in. the end of his movie, that these two people were going to kill each other and they weren't going to return to set. Like at
1: least film it, at least film it De Palma. <laughs> but Michael J.
0: Fox agreed to one more take. And that was the take that they used the one where right after he just got clocked by Sean Penn, where he's just looking at him with just complete hatred. Yeah.
1: Wow. <laughs> Dude, that's amazing. Just because like, you, you feel know, it. I, I in mean, the movie, they're, yeah. they're great actors. So I just assumed, you know, th- yeah, this is good, some good acting. But I did honestly, like subconsciously, I feel like I felt some hatred. You know what yeah. I mean? And to, for you to tell me that, it's just kind of a trip. It's very cool. Well, yeah.
0: And it really works in the scene where they're in that jungle scene where they're first confronting uh, each other and Sean Penn is giving his big speech about how this is a gun. Yeah, Yo, this, this is, is a weapon. weapon. Yeah, point to his crotch. Yeah. Yeah. There's some great just I like all-timer deliveries from him in this movie where yeah. he's just going nuts. Um, this is
1: for killing. <laughs> this is for fun. <laughs> so,
0: so good. So good. Love it. <laughs> um, and then what follows. I could
1: watch him do that character for hours. Oh, he's so. He,
0: yeah, and he's got uh, the uh, like uh, so t- tobacco to chew, chew in his mouth yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. So good um and everyone just takes their turn raping the young girl while Michael mm-hmm. J Fox um, keeps guard yeah he he walks he walks out and just kind of lets them do it and that kind of becomes the real horror of the movie is not just that Michael J Fox um cuz like it's kind of like what could he do they they they, yeah, they, they, yeah. they 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 confronted a little bit in in the court scene which apparently was a deleted scene from the film actually and i mean
1: Sean Penn even does say like i'll kill you Yeah, He basically – granted, he doesn't end up doing it and he doesn't kill him, but there's that – I mean when someone with a gun tells you, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you, it's going to be in the back of your head regardless of if they let you go or not. Yeah,
0: and and that's – is is De Palma shows you that he clearly is – there's not much that he can do, yeah. but he also doesn't let him off the hook for doing nothing, and he right. shows you how horrifying it is, like his own inaction. Yeah, um, yeah. and and it, it's interesting because it, it it apparently came from also De Palma's uh, sense of inaction that obviously he didn't go over there, he intentionally didn't go over there, right? And he wasn't kind of being like, you know, you know, should I have. Gone over there and maybe become one of these guys. It was more of just a case of you're still complicit as a bystander. Like sure. this stuff still happened yeah. while you Regardless were there. Regardless of the fact
1: you weren't a part of it. I- exactly. Yeah. So
0: it's just like, it's, is it directly your fault? Not really. But, but he also is implicates. But if
1: more people were pushing against it, it probably and- helped.
0: Yeah, at the very least, and, and at the same <laughs> time, like you're you're still sort of like watching it, and again, in De Palma's always voyeuristic fashion, he doesn't look shy away from watching any of this stuff. Yeah, um, where you get the split diopter shot of him, kind of like Michael J. Fox walking away, and you still have in focus the background where everything is about to happen, and then you mm-hmm. have that shot where they're all outside the tent, and Michael J. Fox is standing out in the stormy rain, and this kind of like slow mo shots where he's and just
1: he just like, has like that thousand mile stare at yep. that point where he's just like can't believe what. He's had to process and and do. Speaking of the the, I think what was it called again? Diopter shots. Yeah, the called?
0: split shots. shot. Um,
1: yeah. He's got a f- quite a few in this movie, by the way. Awesome and uh, ones, yeah. and one of my f- absolute favorites. It was two shots that are back to back. It's one where it's Michael J. Fox is pointing his gun at. The, the Vietnamese and in the background you see the girl being stabbed by the oh, guy. Oh yeah, because that's and shortly after this rape just, scene. And it's it's such a, a crazy image that he only holds for about two or three seconds and then it cuts to a first person view of his aim sights. Yep. I... Dude, I just, like, I got so excited. I was uh, like, film! You know what I mean? Like, that 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 little sequence of shots was just brilliant. I thought it was so so powerful and uh, yeah, just no, well I actually
0: I actually have that in my notes, too, because it takes yeah. place right after this kind of, like, blue jungle scene where he sort yeah. of distanced himself from the crime, but he still was completely impotent when it comes to actually stopping it in any kind of way. Yeah. And it immediately cuts to a scene where he's been forced to uh, watch this basically unfold where it cuts to them looking through the binoculars uh, Mm. at, at who the people that they assume are, are, are more Viet Cong. And then they, uh, they're terrified that, uh, they're going to get caught because the the woman is coughing. Like they've made her sick. Right. Right. Um, um,
1: and this is another scene that kind of shows like John C. Riley's cowardice in his character. Cause like, You know he's fine with he's fine with doing the raping. He's fine with doing the kidnapping, and then and then the commander's like, "Killer, you, her. And he's like, "She's gonna gonna reveal our position, like, killer, like that kind of guy." I'm like, "Like you're such a piece of shit in all regards." (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, and and, and not to mention too, this takes place right after the scene where uh, because the the morning after when they're all heading out, I think they're they're sort of observing the the Vietnamese on the ground across uh, from the river, right? And then they send Michael J. Fox back. Because they're like, uh, I need you to go grab some equipment or something and send them back. And he he, he goes back and Clark is watching the house with the girl. Right. And, Clark, and he's like, I
1: want to kill them. Well, so. yeah. And
0: Clark, yeah. there's a close up of him sharpening his knife. Right. Very ominously, and you're yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs>
1: maybe Michael J. Fox should switch you out. Like, yeah, yeah and, and let's and he not does. have As him Clark's with the like, Vietnamese hey, I can't girl. miss
0: the fun. Like, the fun is obviously killing, the killing people, yeah. So, uh, and Michael J. Fox, and this is probably one of the most like emotional scenes in the film when Michael J. Fox tries he has to, to the approach
1: herself now, not just with these other guys.
0: Well, yeah, and he has to approach her, and he approaches her, and it's the first time we get like a really good, clean look at her face, yeah. completely beat up and blew. Bru- 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 brutalized and you get a you get a good look at her eyes and she is horrified at the sight of michael j fox yeah (laughs) because she's just like she doesn't know maybe maybe he's going to be the next one
1: she's just correlating american soldier at this point. yeah and, and and and
0: his only response to her is just like oh god like he yeah. realizes what's happened, and he's yeah. just like, "I'm so sorry." Like he watched it, and it's not until right then that he realizes really what happened. Right, and yeah. he and he all he can say is, "I'm sorry that that happened." Yeah. Um. And then the the Ennio Morricone score, by the way, I don't know if you know that he scored this Morricone. Oh, the, it's uh, John Carpenter and uh, Sergio Leone um guy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. They actually used the thing music as temp music for this film before they oh, did really? it because they knew that they wanted Morricone to do it. But the music goes up and it's got like the flutes, the pan flutes and stuff in there too. Yeah. Uh and it's just it's a really horrifying moment where you see just the depth of Michael J. Fox's uh, guilt at his mm. own inaction. And then her, as she realizes that maybe this guy isn't going to hurt her, but the automatic assumption that he was yeah. is still in her brain. So
1: she's still kind of like freaking out. And she's like, doesn't quite know she's taking everything very timidly. Yeah. Uh, it, something else that really got to me, just like trying to, you know, get, get into Michael J. Fox's, uh, mindset is when he's going to be like, he's like, we're going to get you out of here, whatever. And then he realizes like midway through that action that he's like, I'll be a deserter and they'll fucking kill me. if I do that like yeah. and and not just these guys but the military like the american military do not like disorder Well yeah cuz it's, it's fascinating so,
0: how Yes uh, the battle that too. Well yeah cuz it both intertwined it's with unreal. with his moral values is like his commitment to the military who he yeah. assumed had moral values. Yeah. And or at least
1: the basics like the basic level yeah, of the moral Yeah and that value, he yeah.
0: has progressively learned that on mass those moral values are getting uh completely like shadowed and overrun. Um, by the fact that everyone is so disoriented and so, um, completely confused. (laughs) Um, and yeah, it takes us back to the scene where they, they finally bring her up the hill because he's like, yeah, I can't just let her, her real, I can't go with her and take her home safely because I'll be a deserter and they'll kill me. Mm -hmm. So he takes her up the, up, up the hill and then they're just like, Yeah, we gotta kill her because she's gonna reveal our position. And Michael J. Fox makes the decision to just start shooting them so oh, that so that they have that, to. Yeah. yeah and, they, she, and then we're like, yeah. Well, now she can't reveal our position because So there's no reason to kill her. Yeah. Well, cause then what's amazing is Sean Penn's like, you kill her. And was like, No. And then he's like, You kill her. John Leguizamo's like, no. And yeah. he keeps telling everyone to kill her. And in the background, Clark the whole time is like, like I'll, do. I'll, I'll kill her. Yeah. Fuck, dude, like I'll kill her. I just sharpened my knife, dude. I'll kill her. Yeah. And they're like, No, I want him to kill her. Yeah, which
1: which also leads to that whole thing with Sean Penn where it's like, it's not just about the, I mean, it's sick to say, but like his pleasure or anything, yeah. it's almost like he wants it's a power to, thing to, right. Yeah. It's like he needs to control. Clark is willing to do it, but he's just like, no, I want this guy who doesn't want to do it to, to do, do it because yeah. I'm saying so and I'm in charge. And yeah, exactly. it's just like, oh man, it's. So it's a level of evil
0: that... (laughs) Well, yeah, and and that's what's amazing about those shots that you pointed out too is that when Michael J. Fox starts engaging with them um, um, with the Vietnamese below by shooting at them and being like, there, she can't reveal our position now. We're already revealed. Yeah. So there's no reason to kill her. That's that. There's no reason to kill her anymore. And then while he's engaged in that fighting and not paying attention... In the background. In the background with a split diopter shot, she is just getting completely Stabbed. stabbed two or three different times. It's almost like a like a predatory slasher kill in a movie. Yeah. Like if you see the split diopter shot like that, it's, it's horrifying. Hmm. Um, it's like a brief moment of of like actual horror filmmaking. Uh, yeah, gets in there for literally five seconds. And, yeah. and Michael J. Fox doesn't see it happening. Like we see it happening. Again, this right. is Brian De Palma again implicating the audience in a way where you're like, you get to watch all of this. Have yeah. fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Isn't war grand? <laughs> yeah. So
0: so in 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 his own in his own kind of sick way, he's he's. He's. I think De Palma thinks that he's he's doing her justice by forcing you to watch her story. Yeah, um, that's a it, cool read. Yeah, uh, and I, I think that that was kind of his his intent with it. And uh, I mean, it's it's obviously it's hard to watch, and a lot of people were made really uncomfortable and sick by it. But it's kind of yeah. like
1: and what what's crazy too is it leads eventually to like everybody but Michael, of course, having to kill her anyway. Yeah, because they all end up shooting her. Yeah, so it's it's, oh, it's yeah. almost that, that, like that, that, that whole slow thing. mo
0: bit where she's walking across the bridge, and mm. and he uses the bridge almost like this like stage. Yeah, where you get yeah. to like watch her run across it, and you get and everyone just gets to see everything that they've done to this person. Yeah, um, and then yep. they all just completely gun her down and and drop her body down below, and they try to just for, I mean, just forget that they did it. And yeah. Michael J. Fox obviously having. I've just conscience. seen it all <laughs> can't just simply do that and then yeah. the, that's what kind of turns the back half of the film into the pressures of um and i'm really glad that he he did keep all of this stuff in where he's immediately oh, yeah, where too. like this is where we get to see ving rames ving rames is who's sort of uh, even higher up than a sergeant some sort of lieutenant or something uh tells him that like hey look man shit happens yeah
1: <laughs> yeah he's like why try and buck the system
0: yeah, well, because he has this great story where he's, he talks about how his his pregnant wife was uh, denied uh, service at a hospital be- based on her race. Mm. And that he freaked the fuck out and flipped shit out and got put in jail because of it. And he was like, my anger and my response was righteous. But he was like, it didn't really end up accomplishing much of anything. Right. So, like, why even try to, to do that, really? Yeah. And it's like, his argument makes sense, but it's in that same bureaucratic way that, like... Yeah. Then then why try anything? Like why try to make anything better? Yeah. Like it's it's definitely a save face kind of argument. Um, and then it
1: even leads to him saying like you can't expect anything different in the combat zone. Yeah. So it's almost like he sets up a thing where you kind of understand it. You're like, I I do get what you're saying here, like how he's going yeah. about it. But then he even kind of destroys even that part by saying uh that you can't expect anything different in a combat zone it's like well yeah i can actually it's like why should why why you gunfire i expect in a combat zone rape and murder i don't so it's like you know you know that kind of whole excuse for it it's just like we're in this environment it's like guys it's not enough
0: (laughs) yeah well i mean and, and as soon as you start you know the movie kind of does depict how quickly you can make an excuse for this kind of
1: behavior. Yeah, like when he starts talking to the the real like head. That there's, chief. A,
0: that, that there's legal violence and illegal violence and in, in, in war that that just kind of blurs together, and yeah. they're just like that's just something we got to accept. And it's like, well, I don't think we. If, if you're supposed to be the better crimes. people, yeah, man, like exactly, it's it's just like you know, so. It, it really does show like, you. There's
1: still rules for war, you know. It's like you can say all's fair or whatever, but it's just like yeah.
0: And then, it, but then it becomes an excuse to do a whatever reason you there are want. Ca- it,
1: things called war crimes. It, it becomes
0: an excuse <laughs> to brutalize people and then use the violent response from those people to continue brutalizing right, them. Right.
1: It's just a never-ending cycle of violence. Yeah. And that's
0: just what you're going to end up with. Yeah. So it, it's. And then, yeah, the the back half of the movie just kind of turns into him both fighting the fact that uh, all of the guys know that he knows what they did and that he's trying to rat them out. And the fact that all of the different army members, as he climbs the ranks to go up and tell them what happened and get them in trouble, nobody gives a shit. Everyone's just like, we got bigger problems uh, here than this. And he's just like, yeah, but like. The people on the ground are doing this, and like this is—they're not carrying out the mission. It's clearly wrong. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It's like, guys, it's not even a part of your mission statement. Yeah. Why would you be okay with this? Well, yeah, and know? then
0: and then he freaks out. It's at, it's at not him. helping your mission. And he so. and he tells Michael J. Fox this sort of thing could cause an international incident. Yeah, and it's just like is the war itself not a little bit of an like, international like, incident think, yeah, at this like, point it's like we're <laughs> we're far gone we're far past that like we're I mean, in an international incident at the back moment back
1: home they're already protesting the war and shit yeah. i mean the, the the whole there's a crisis already you know it's yeah. like i don't think shedding some light on some craziness would would i mean yeah it'd probably make it a little worse but but at the same time it's a, it's a like it's a disgusting war crime. Yeah, you should be open. Well, yeah, about and these and, things. The, and the way
0: that De Palma when when she falls down and she dies too, and the way that it pans over all the other bodies in the in the water too, mm, uh, that they yeah. both bodies that they just shot, and also Americans who just got shot and killed there too. So yeah. it's kind of just like he's he's associating this with like you know a a, a larger sense of. When you justify violence, there's like a really, really weird mindset you have to enter to do that, and that mindset is very, very easily corruptible. Yeah, uh, yeah. to do other things. So it's Absolutely. just, it, you know, and the way that he dramatizes that uh, in the filmmaking is really compelling to watch and really upsetting to watch at the same yeah. time. And then
1: another thing when he's when he's saying he's like, well, he saved your life, and now you're gonna ruin his. And you're yeah. just like
0: you're like, well, dude. What about her what life, What about man? the Vietnamese
1: girl <laughs> that he not only ruined, but yeah. take took away? Yeah, and the so and and the like, one guy's
0: so concerned that he's gonna go above the lieutenant's head to the next guy, and he's like, you're gonna violate the chain of command. And they were like, they violated more things than the, <laughs> than chain, than of the chain of command. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like. Again, just, they're, they're, yeah. they're more worried about like this, these bureaucratic rules that yeah. clearly have been bent to allow more things that then was, you know, yeah. supposed to be there. Um, and it all culminates, uh, in a, uh, larger sort of courtroom drama where finally Which is the
1: most, somehow I found it almost to be like the most uncomfortable scene in it's, the whole it, thing. it's
0: also really upsetting because, yeah. because, uh, the, the most to upset-
1: watch John C. Riley like, like, have this almost because he's just he, he seems like a total moron yeah. that just kind of goes with the flow and it seems like that moment was his first real realization of what ri- ridiculously evil thing he just did yeah and he's like trying to justify it to them and he's just like you know well they you know they told me to do it and, and like yeah. you know like it, it's just it's it's almost like he's trying to justify it to himself yeah. And he's only now having to deal with it and it's yeah. it's pretty pretty hard to watch
0: yeah well because even though he's a piece of shit it, it really gets you into the mindset of you know this this kind of groupthink that happened right among them, exactly right? of where like th- th- they this makes
1: you feel uneasy
0: th- yeah. th- they all justified this psychologically in a way so that yeah. they weren't the bad guys and then and all of a sudden they're, they're, they're on court for being the bad guys so when they're like wait what i don't understand like, i followed the chain of command like it just right. makes sense right
1: right and <laughs> so now you're watching them like Actually, have this this epiphany of what they've done. Besides Sean Penn, I think Sean Penn knew exactly what the fuck. Oh, I mean, Sean, they all knew what they were doing. That's not Sean. What I'm Sean
0: Penn's dialogue in the in the courtroom scene is is ripped straight from the article, and it's it's amazing the justifications wow. that he pulled out. Where he was he doesn't even talk about the rape; he just talks about the murder. And she's just like, "Well, she was gonna give up our position." Yeah. And then he's like, "Why did you even have her with you to give up yeah, your it's position, like, <laughs> like, <it's>
1: like, dude?" <laughs> Do you, do you, do you not remember uh, why she was with you in the first place? Yeah. It's
0: like, dude, yeah. but one of the, one of the most fascinating bits I thought. And what's funny is, uh, De Palma talks about that. They did a, a, a pre-screen test of this movie to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they, they asked him to cut a couple things. So the version we watched, I think was the extended one that included all the footage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely one, one of, one of the bits that they cut because it made people uncomfortable was the part where the lawyers grill Michael J. Fox on his inaction.
1: Oh that was one of my favorite moments of the film. It was and, like and, you know Michael even J Fox's force of wrestle it.
0: Is he's just like why didn't you fucking shoot them then? And he's yeah. just like I should have shot them. Fuck, I guess I should have shot them. Yeah. Like shit, dude. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, and to have that that was powerful, definitely. Yeah, yeah, to to
0: include that stuff is like really really brutal at the end of that. Um And, uh, all that we're really left with at the end of the film is we come back to the, uh, the subway sequence where he's come back and he's looked Mm. at, he's, he's looking at this young girl and he kind of follows her off the subway because she left behind her scarf and he returns her scarf to her, which is a really symbolic moment because, um, when they kidnap the young Vietnamese girl, uh, the mom hands the scarf to the young girl. That's the thing. That's the thing that he's, they're stopping the mom from while they're taking her daughter and, they take the scarf and give it to the young girl. So he's returning it to her. Cause so again, it's this, it's that, that Hitchcock thing where he's, he's seeing the image of a girl yeah. and he's, it's, it's bringing up all of these feelings. I also love uh, that he has to stuff. end it
1: on this kind of like, this kind of like sweet note and, and, and do the, uh, doesn't she say something like it was just a bad dream. Yeah. It's because, because,
0: because she says, do I, do I remind you of, of someone or something? Um, and, uh, yeah, she she says something. It's on like both. it's corny, but in the best way. You know what I mean? Well, see, and, and what's funny is just like I, I, like if you were, I think your bad dream is over or whatever. Yeah, it I is. found
1: it endearing. Yeah,
0: and well and and what's kind of funny about it though is that like he kind of does have a bit, a small moment of relief there in the same way that like Jacob gets yeah. a moment of relief at the end. But at the same time, you're kind of sitting there and you're being like, you're kind of left to still think about it overall. Well, the like
1: the girl is like saying, you know, it's over. Like it's you over know, for you. Ye, like you, you, you kind person. of, yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's over and you should be able to, you yeah. should forgive yourself. Like Michael yeah. J. Fox's character should forgive himself. Yeah. But to say that it's like, he'll never have to deal with that kind of knowledge ever again. Probably not. That's probably something he's going to, you know, it's probably going to pop into his head at least (laughs) once a week for the rest of his life, you know? So yeah, but still, still, I thought the ending was, was nice. And, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's a De Palma thing, but it felt like a De Palma, yeah, he, very De Palma-esque. He, well, cause he,
0: uh, he, he was the one who ended up putting that one in. I think, I think the screenwriter was a little upset cause he wanted, he wanted like something, he didn't want that. More note a courtroom in the movie. ending. Uh, he wanted more courtroom stuff and he yeah. wanted, le- he wanted more of like a thorny kind of, kind of ending on it. And what's funny is that it's just weird. Cause like I read that as a moment as relief, but too, I, d- yeah. I didn't read it as like, uh, oh, it's over. Or like it's been solved or like it's like oh, any, anything sure. has been like finished. Like for me, I was still like Michael J. Fox had that vision because he saw one woman and I'm like, I think he's going to have it again <laughs> like, the next time he <laughs> sees a woman. You know, like yeah. I really don't. Like
1: That's a good point. But I do think like, <laughs> do, do you know, think that like I don't know if Brian De Palma thought like the way he executed it. It oh, yeah. kind of come off as like. Michael J. Fox to move bit. on from now. Yeah. but I like your read on it, it was, for sure. It, it I like was that.
0: definitely c- supposed to be considered like a bookend. a little more of a wrap up. A little bit yeah. more of like a a bookend. But I do like, like yeah. what you're
1: what you're saying there because it's true. It's like if one
0: one Vietnamese woman. <laughs> well, because I was gonna say when you look at the film as a present day thing, it's him waking up having the worst nightmare of his life, where he's relive- reliving the worst thing he's ever That's seen ever happened. To yeah, him. yeah. And he just and then at the end he's just like
1: okay i'm gonna go to the park now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and as far as i know this guy has been forced to live in kind of like basically like a, a, a witness protection style thing basically ever because since. the guys
1: that are released by now yeah. by the way some of them who got sentenced like sean penn's character got sentenced 10 years
0: yeah well and, and some 10 of, years and 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 some of them didn't even end up serving the full time some of them ended up uh, disputing the case, and some of them ended up doing all kinds of things. It's crazy. Like, after. That so. was
1: almost, like, the most devastating part of it, though, to watch all of them get their sentences. I'm like, yeah, you deserve that. Yeah, Clark, you deserve Clark that. Clark it's life. life. Yeah, and then, But then Sean Penn gets 10 years. And you're like, 10 years? You're not even going to get 25? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. fuck you, justice
0: system. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, yeah. Sean Penn is the mastermind <laughs> behind this terrible shit. <laughs> yeah. So... All right, well I think that might wrap it up for casualties of war here. This one gets I mean obviously a pretty high four for me. I mean yeah. uh for, for me it's honestly pretty close to the to the 5 just because I'm so yeah. I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of Vietnam stuff, and this this stuff is, despite the fact that it's, like, weirdly enough, the least dreamy and, like, sort of, like, crazy image-oriented. Like, it's not like Apocalypse Now in that oh, kind of yeah. way either. It's it's the most, like, sort of, like, grounded and it's realistic like, version of story, this one.
1: In a way. And for some yeah. reason,
0: it's the one that I end up always thinking about the most. Like, it's the one that yeah. gives my brain the most to chew on, just how it depicts both the, the sort of, like, macho group think that kind of happens Um and also how it gets into larger crimes and war crimes and, and the Vietnam uh, yeah. war in general and how like, um, you
1: know, we like sweep things under the rug
0: yeah, just to keep you things know, moving. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We exactly grease the wheels to a little moving, bit yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So for basically all the, all the, all the moments that are, are all the stuff that we've already talked about, like I was uh pretty, pretty uh compelled by this one and I, I, I almost a lot of time don't recommend it to people. Cause like I, it's, it's just, it's a really upsetting watch. It's and I, a tough I, watch. I, yeah. I, it's, and I, I it's
1: very good, but yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna get into, it's gonna, Get I will say other Brian
0: De Palma films have more rewatchability for me because they're not as upsetting as this. But sure. I also think that the value of this film is how distressed it makes you, yeah, um, and how unflinching it is with this like really powerful material and this horrifying story that I I bet you some people wouldn't even believe. Yeah, um, I mean it, it's hard to believe while you're watching it that people oh, would do this stuff. But then you know, and then you know, it, it
1: was one of those things where like they claimed it was a true story. I was like, I'll have I'll have to look into this because yep. this is one of the most evil things I've ever. Yeah, fucking no, scene. all of these
0: people were sentenced, and basically the movie plays out the same way. So yeah. it's just—it's pretty nuts. It's nuts.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm also gonna give it the four. This was pretty close to the five for me too. Uh, so, so who knows? Maybe on a, a rewatch. Um, but yeah, De Palma. I was expecting De Palma to get a little more. And a little bit more abstract, or whatever. Yeah, it's well, yeah, just it, such it, a it grounded seemed, it, it, story. Yeah, it
0: seems like he toned it down for the story. It's one of the first, yeah. the most like sober, serious movies out of him, probably, yeah, that he's ever yeah, done. Yeah, for sure. Like, he's never done another mm. movie that quite feels like this one does. Yeah,
1: because you got Body Doubles, Scarface, you got all these like crazy over the top character movies with, yeah. you know, sporadic action and whatever. And then this one is just really just telling a brutal story of, uh, of groupthink and kind of, you know, when you're in a dire, terrible situation, I guess even worse things can pop into your brain and lead you to do these things. I mean, obviously, Michael J. Fox was the uh, the voice of reason in this movie, and fucking thank God because uh, everyone else is a total. Piece well, and what's of interesting is that he,
0: at the beginning too, we talked about it that he kind of paints a picture of how these guys end up making these decisions in the first place too, right? Yeah. Like this frustration It's all based on and, frustration and, and, really. and, and, and how the, how they've been t- been basically told and commanded to unlock this part of themselves. And yeah. then also been told to just, yeah, just put it away when it comes time for outside of war times.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, al- yeah and, al- and also I think, you know, it shows kind of the dangers of the, the thought of, you know, the, the, uh, uh, what uh, chains of command Yeah. where it's just kind of like, well, this guy's in charge. So even if it's a, in, a terribly evil act that is obviously questionable, yeah. well, I got to do it because he's in charge. And, and that's that's how, uh, that's how you get Nazi Germany. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. It, it's an incredibly powerful movie. And for those that are going to watch it, just be warned that it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough watch, but it's, it's well worth it.
0: All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this week's episode. That was Jacob's Ladder and Casualties of War. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thanks so much, as always, for listening, guys. We're going to be back in one week's time for patrons, and we're going to be talking werewolf movies. Yeah. We're going to be talking uh, an American werewolf in London. uh, Nineteen. What was it? Eighty one. Yeah. Uh, Eighty one. Directed written and directed by John Landis. Uh, and then we're also going to be talking about a film directly referenced in that film, which I didn't know because I yeah. was watching American Werewolf for the first time. Uh, we had a chance to see it on a big screen so we couldn't pass it up. Um, uh, the curse of the werewolf. Yeah. 19. Uh, Oliver Reed, 1961 starring Oliver Reed, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll get it. We'll, we'll get, get into, into that. that on next week's episode. <laughs> I was a
1: little, <laughs> little disappointed with the lack of
0: read, but we'll uh, he we'll was get it in the bits that he was there. <laughs> yeah, right? we'll, yeah,
1: we'll get into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: so that's what you can expect. Uh, again, that's at patreoncom podcast for anyone who wants to listen to that. Uh, but in two weeks' time, we're going to be back with another free episode on on your podcast listener of choice, um, and we're going to be having a guest on, and we're going to be talking. Uh, video game zombie movies. Bending the rules a little bit here, talking a little bit of the early 2000s. um, But we did at some point really want to talk about uh, Ewe Boll on this show. And (laughs) unfortunately, he's a bit of a modern uh, director here. So uh, we're going to be talking House of the Dead 2003. Oh, yeah. But we're also going to be pairing it with uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's Resident Evil. So two video game zombie uh, adaptation films.
1: Looking forward to rewatching these just because I mean, Resident Evil, I, I'm going to give more of a chance this time around. Yeah. Uh, I, I did have a sour taste in my mouth with the, the video game and all that. Yeah. But uh, for House of the Dead, I I've think never I might just it, so. be like so entertained by it that uh, we'll see it, yeah. what happens. I don't know. We'll, we'll see, see. We'll how, see what happens. We'll I'm, see I'm excited, though.
0: Yeah. I've, have you seen it? I've never seen it. So uh,
1: House of the Dead. Yeah. I have seen it, but it was when I was young. Like oh, it was okay. one of those like 12, like, you know, I'm over at a friend's house and their parents let us watch R-rated movies. Right, right.
0: (laughs) Well, either way, that's what you can expect uh, in two weeks' time. Uh, As always, thanks for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.